Father, we just come before you this morning, and we just give you worship and praise, and we thank you for this day. We thank you for our breath. We thank you for our life. We thank you for your precious Holy Spirit that you sent to dwell inside of us and be with us. We thank you for the angels that you commissioned to watch over us. We thank you for the peace that we woke up to in our country today, this day, Lord God. And we give this entire day back to you that you've given to us. And we thank you, those of us that are here, that you've given us the time and the freedom to come, to fellowship, to look into your word, and just to spend time seeking your face. Now, Father, we ask in the mighty name of Jesus that you would pour out of your precious Holy Spirit on us in this meeting today and tonight in such a way, Lord God, that we will be changed forever. Lord God, you have no lack of Holy Spirit. You have no lack of revelation. You have no lack of all the heavenly commodities. And you said we lack because we don't ask. And we don't receive because we ask wrongly that we may consume it upon the lust of our flesh. But today, We've set aside to ask for that good thing that Mary sought after, Lord, just to hear your words, just to see you, just to know you. And we know according to your word, when we ask according to your will, we will receive. And so, Lord, I ask for your anointing and your presence on me to uh, minister and speak by your Holy Spirit according to your precious word. And on the hearers, Lord, that every ear would be attuned to hear what thus saith the Lord to them individually, Lord that Jesus Christ would be present to bless and break that bread, that it can feed the multitude. We ask for that miracle to happen all day long, Lord, and that we would not just have our minds on what we think we need, but what it is that you want to give us, because your vision for each of our lives is so much greater than what we have for our own lives, Lord. Open us up to understand who we are, what you're trying to do in us and what you are doing in this earth in these last days and where it is that we're going, Father. And we give you all the glory and all the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Praise God. Okay. Where do you want me to start, Lord? Let's start in Romans. Let's go to Romans 8. Oh, good chapter. Yeah, Romans 8 is a great chapter. Still half of, I didn't have my coffee. I can't remember. Romans is in the New Testament, right? <laughs> Praise God. So last night, um, the Spirit came in in such a beautiful way, like he does, lifting us out of this earthly plane to just get a little bit of a glimpse of his glory and his greater presence. Greater in the sense of being greater than what we usually walk in and live in and, and breathe in. And I spoke last night of, of sensing the Lord giving us an invitation. And you know the Lord will invite, but he never forces anybody. And he's an extending an invitation. Pastor Jeremy talked about it in the altar call. He is extending an invitation to us to come up higher, to go in deeper, to go in further. But it's only to those that really want it. 
And I believe that there is a people that he is so stirring up on the inside. And you know, some of you have been going through some things, some of the things that seemed important to you, some of the things that seemed vital to you, some of the things that you used to pray for, that you used to cling to, that used to matter, are beginning to fall away. Some of you have had losses that at first you kicked and screamed and cried and did the I don't understand, and now you're beginning to see a new level of freedom in your life as the Lord has begun to show you that is not what it's about. And he's a jealous God, and he will knock down our idols, especially those of us that have been bold enough, or as Marty said last night, foolish enough to ask him to. But it's not foolish. It is not foolish. It's going to hurt the flesh. The flesh is going to die. If we're really Christians, really followers of Christ, really people who have come to the cross and laid down our lives and taken up the cross and taken new life in Christ, then we are going to be, as Paul said, dying daily. Now, I feel that I never get the happy, popular kind of thing to say. I never get to talk about things that I believe in and things that I experience. God, God will bless you. God will, will give you what you need. He'll even give you abundance at times according to his will and his plan and what he's doing on the path of your life. All of those things. He always takes me over to the other side to remind us of the word that is never preached anymore. And any of you who have heard me have often heard me quote the most unpopular promise in the word that you'd never hear anybody quoting that Jesus promised us that in this world we shall have tribulation. Gabriel talked last night about uh, what Paul said to Timothy, which I'm sure he's going to preach about, so I'm not going to camp there, but that he'd been given a promise, and by that promise he was to fight a good warfare well, it's not just the promises that he, he loves you, he blesses you, he hears your prayers, he's going to meet your needs. We also need to know what the word says about persecution. If persecution takes us and we don't know that the word told us it was going to come, we, found our, we find ourselves unprepared and dumbfounded and often questioning our faith. And so I feel that the Lord often gives me a job on that side of things to remind us. But you know, letting the Holy Spirit crucify us, letting the Holy Spirit deal with us in those realms is the most freeing thing. To be able to get up in the morning and say, yes, I have this situation. Yes, I have this circumstance. Yes, I have this need. But you know what? I can still sing. I can still smile. I can still praise because I have the everlasting God inside of me, and because it's not about here, it's not about now, it's about what's coming. And don't you know that the greatest witness that you can be is when you, like Job, have been tested and tempted and everything taken from you, and you still refuse to deny God, you still refuse to curse him, don't you know that that's when the world takes a second look and says, my, my, they've got something. Don't you know that's when you mess with the devil's head? 
I always wind up in Job. But you remember how the devil came to God. And God said, what you been up to, Job? He said, I've been going up and down and to and fro, doing what he does, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And our God, in his holy wisdom and justice and perfectness, says, have you considered my servant Job? There's nobody like him in the earth. And the devil said, well, he doesn't serve you for nothing. Look at all the stuff you give him. Look at all the protection that you give him. You see, there is, there is a truth to the, faith, to the faith gospel. A truth. But there's a bigger truth. That's not the whole story. The same God last night that Marty preached that told Abraham to go and offer his son on the altar and then turned and said, no, don't do it. I've provided a ram. The same God that blessed Abraham above all in the known world at that time, in every realm, in his mind, in his, in his being, he was so respected. He was so good. He was so kind. He took care. He said, if there was ever anybody sick or unclothed or hungry or thirsty that I didn't take care of it, I don't know about it. And God blessed him for his goodness. God blessed him with everything that a person can receive in this life. And that same God turned around and gave Satan permission to take it all away. Because what God is doing is so much bigger than that. It's so much more profound than that. He could give me 10,000 cars and 10 million houses and zillions of dollars. And you know what? Before the Lord is done with this thing, it's all going to burn up. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. This body, if he tarries, is going to go into the earth and decay and be eaten by the worms. Goodbye, body. Until he comes back again in that trumpet sound and we will be resurrected. Better, better beyond what we understand of what we were before. We don't even know what we're going to be like, Paul said. When you plant a little seed in the ground and you look at that thing and then all of a sudden this big amazing plant comes up, looks nothing like that thing you put in the ground. And that's what we have to look forward to. But God allowed that in uh, Job's life. And the words of Satan to God, if you let me take everything he's got, he's going to curse you to your face. That's what Satan said. And did Job do it? No. As a matter of fact, he took everything. He took all his cattle. He even took his children. He took everything from him, all his servants. Everybody was killed except for a handful of servants that, were, that Satan left alive just to come and torment Job and tell him about what Satan had done. And Job still didn't curse God. And Satan comes back to God and, and doesn't say anything. And God says, hey, Satan, how'd that work out with Job? And, and God says he still didn't sin. He still didn't turn on me. And so you know the story. So Satan asks, well, a man will give anything for his life, for his flesh. Let me touch his flesh. And God gives him permission. The same Jesus Christ, part of the Godhead, that walked the streets of Galilee and Jerusalem and healed everybody that came to him. That same God allowed Satan to afflict Job in his body with a great sickness. 
And then that wasn't enough. And, and I brought this out last year. I don't know why I'm talking about it again, but the Lord does. Um, his wife turns to him and says, why don't you just curse God and die? In her human bitterness, in her human heartbreak, she lost everything too. She lost all of her children. She had no way of comprehending what was going on. No way. And like I always say, we're hard on Job's wife, but the Bible never says that God said, look at Job's wife. Isn't she awesome? Isn't she spiritual? Doesn't she? And this just average woman, at least on some level, is going through this loss. And Satan enters into her because he sees Job still not falling and speaks through his wife and says what he told God that Job would do and begins to tempt him. Curse God and die already. What else can I do to you? Through Job's wife. And then that doesn't work. And so then his friends get the idea that they're going to come and they're going to visit him and they're going to comfort him. And he looked so atrocious when they saw him that they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights and didn't say a word. It was so bad what they had not even a word to utter to this man in this deep grief. And if you'll read, you'll see that one of his friends, the eldest one, is visited by a demon spirit in the night that begins to accuse Job to him in a vision. And the man didn't have the discernment. And then out of the issues of his own heart, there had to be jealousy. There had to be long-sitting jealousy in his heart because he wakes up the next day and Job finally says something and he jumps in there and just starts this rampage of accusing this man. Chapter after chapter after chapter, his friends accusing him, this happened to you because of your sin. If you would just confess your sin, God would, would release you from this. Not having a clue what they were talking about. My God, not having a clue what was going on in the spiritual realm. Not having a clue that they were being used by Satan to try to break this man down. The last thing that went, his own, his respect from all the people. So he had literally absolutely nothing but his God that he was at a loss to understand at that point. But it is at that point when absolutely everything is gone and God begins to come in and talk to him. And you read it. You read the, the end of the book of Job, what God begins to say to Job when... <laughs> This is going to sound kind of, kind of funny, but it's the image I'm seeing. I saw a movie once about a, a chess player. And it was a little boy prodigy chess player, and he had this really intense chess coach, and he was going to be the world's greatest chess player. And, and he was trying to teach him strategy, and he was trying to teach him to look, you know, five moves ahead, then ten moves ahead, then twenty moves ahead. And uh, he was trying to push him to the next level, and he was working with him one day, and he was like, do you see it? Do you see it? You gotta look, you gotta look all these moves ahead. Can you see it? And the little boy said, I can't see it, I can't see it. And and the teacher, almost in frustration, just went like this with his arm and cleared the whole board. And he said, Now can you see it? And that little boy was able to see what the what the coach was trying to teach him. And so that's kind of like what happened with, with Job to me. Everything was cleared off the board. There was nothing left. And in that place, 
he was able to enter into these high and deep mysteries of the whole creation and plan of God. When you would think that God would come to Job and talk to him about his circumstances, wasn't it all about his circumstances? Wasn't it all about his suffering and what he lost? God doesn't say anything about it. Have you ever gone to the throne of God day after day after day, month after month, year after year with this problem that is so huge, it's, it's, your, it's your whole consciousness? Obviously, God knows that this is the thing that needs attention. This is what needs to be dealt with, and he doesn't even talk to you about it. You don't see it changing. You don't see it moving. You don't see anything happening. And God will speak to you about something totally unrelated. And you're like, <laughs> he is looking for a people that's ready to move higher. And when we get, you, you know, your problem can become an idol. Your circumstance can become an idol. I was doing a woman's meeting once, and the Lord gave me this, like, little, little vision, and it, it was so funny. You know, the Lord is funny, and he shows us how funny we are. And he showed me a person, and they had this, this thing. It was just a, it was a big black blob. It was a thing. And this person was just looking at this thing and staring at this thing. And the more that they looked at the thing and stared at the thing, the bigger the thing got. And so this black blob was just growing and growing. And then they would go over and they would pet the thing, rub the thing. After a while, they started dusting the thing, put a little thing on the thing <laughs> to decorate it. This thing was growing and consuming their complete attention and their complete life. And then it was like a cartoon. Then I saw this person crying out to Jesus while looking at the thing, not looking up. And I saw Jesus like come into the room, standing by the person, and the person kind of glanced, oh, it's Jesus. And then the person just begins to tell Jesus all about the thing. And they go on and on about the thing. And how horrible the thing is and how big the thing is and how, Jesus, don't you care about the thing and what are you going to do about the thing and the thing and the thing, 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 thing. And after a while, there was like a little step and Jesus just went and sat on the step and listened to her talk about the thing. And, and then he was kind of like on the road to Emmaus. He was kind of like, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, it's a big thing. I don't know, I don't know what... Yeah, it's hard. That is a really big thing. And you know he did that on the road to Emmaus. After the crucifixion, Jesus showed up in another form, and two of the disciples were walking on the road going, man, it's all over. We thought, we thought maybe he, even, he was the Messiah. We thought this was the culmination of everything we've been waiting for, the hope of Israel, the, the hope of the world, the, only, the thing that we've been waiting for, and it's gone. He's dead. And they were sad. And they were just talking about it and talking about it. And Jesus shows up walking alongside of them and he says, what are you guys talking about? And they begin to tell him, don't you know? 
haven't you heard about Jesus and, and how he's the Messiah, we thought, and all these miracles, and he was this great man, and then they just, they killed him, and we're just at a loss, and he's like, wow, wow, and he doesn't say anything. And then he goes in, and because they asked him to, because they sensed something, you know, even in our darkness, in those blinded, stupid states we can get ourselves into, if we can get close to Jesus, something on the inside will begin to burn. Something on the inside will begin to gravitate towards him. And that's what happened. And when this strange man began to go away, they said, no, wait, 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 come and eat with us. And sometimes, you know, just those little, he's so merciful. Any kind of invitation he gives you and I, don't ever take it lightly. I mean, you may be here today and you may feel far from God. You may feel that you can't feel him. You may feel no life. Everybody's shouting around you. You may feel no connection to him, something that you're going through. Don't ignore those little invitations. You respond as best you can where you're at. And if this isn't for you today, remember it tomorrow when something comes. He is so merciful. So he comes in. They invite him to take one more step, and he does it. And then he begins to open the scripture. And then as he's sharing the word, you want to get your vision right? You want to be able to see who he really is? You see, because they thought he was a dead carpenter who maybe they had overexalted. They were beginning to think dark thoughts. They were beginning to think maybe we didn't hear from God. Maybe that was all a waste. Maybe laying our lives aside and deserting our families and following him had been a waste and we were deceived. The dark thoughts that the enemy will give to our carnal mind. But when the word began to be opened, light began to come. And sometimes you're in darkness and you're in despair and you have to force yourself to open this word and get the light that you need and give the Lord an opportunity to begin to move back the darkness. Amen. And then boom, their eyes were opened. They saw him and he vanished out of their sight. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our hearts burn within us? We spend too much time drawing from what's in here, and we spend too much time letting what's in here be pulled and absorbed from what's out there when it's all designed in the kingdom of God to come from here to here. And that can only happen if we're in the word and if we're in communion and prayer with him. I, I had a, a young lady in the church, uh, a young woman of God, come to me and, and talk to me about the young people in her church that were falling into adultery and into sin. And just, we don't understand it. We can't understand it. Why is this happening? I said, well, gee, it's no mystery. I said, but for the grace of God, that's you, that's me, that's everybody. That's our flesh. We have a whole generation of Christians in this country trying to live a spiritual life in the flesh. We think we can get up and own our day that God gave us and say, thank you very much. Go do our thing for days on end. Maybe find a little time for the scripture. Maybe find a little time for prayer. And walk in the spirit and be godly. It's not going to happen. 
And it doesn't matter if you're 100 years in the old, Lord, old in the Lord. It does not work that way. We have Sister Anna sitting back there. How old are you now, Sister Anna? 89. So you don't have to pray anymore, do you? You're all prayed up. You don't have to read the wording. You're, you're a Christian woman now. Right? That's how we have it in our head. Like we build it up and I'm a Christian and we'll wear the t-shirt and we'll put the bumper stickers on and I'm a Christian. But we don't realize it's a moment by moment, choice by choice, I'm a Christian. It's not a label. It's not a bumper sticker. It's not a club. So, hmm. I'm nowhere near prophecy. (laughs) But that's the thing. You, you look at Job. Heaven looked at Job. And heaven took that man. And you see, in, in this country and in all the socialist and communist countries, it, there's so much class warfare. And we have it in the church, too. You know, I mean, we've got the prosperity side. You're not godly if you're not rich. And we've got the old time side. You're not godly if you're not poor. And... It has nothing to do with that. God can use rich, poor, and everything in between, and he's the one who decides what we have and what we can be faithful with and what will consume us and destroy us. And so Job was counted worthy, but notice Job's life. He took all that that God gave him, and he had a heart of compassion. He said he not only took care of any person he saw, that he sought out people who had need. Why? Because he understood that everything he was given was given by God for the purpose of God. He didn't think it was his own. That's why he didn't freak out when it was gone. What did he tell his wife? I came naked into the world. I'm going naked out of the world. And we walk around thinking our stuff, our time, our talent, our voices, our musical gifts, our whatever, my mind, that it's mine. And God's lucky if I share it with him. Hello, hello. I'm a good Christian because I give him 10% of it. Well, as, as you've heard before, tithing is Old Testament. And I believe in tithing if that's the best you can do. But we're in the New Testament. And... The apostles and the prophets of the New Testament, Jesus Christ, don't talk about tithing. Jesus didn't say, if any man will follow me, let him bring me 10% and give me an hour in prayer a week. Do some things for me, and then I'll bless his ideas and his plans. I was in Africa, and it just broke my heart. Hundreds and thousands of young people with, with that gift of faith that young people have that's untainted, ready to serve God. And our American preacher's going over there and telling them, what's your dream? And they would teach him about Joseph and say, what is your dream? Because God gave you that dream. You want to be a rap star? You want to be a basketball player? That's God. And God will make that happen for you. And I'm getting the letters from some of the kids that were 10 and 12 now and they've gone through the disillusionment, and they've gone through the heartbreak, and they're like, what does the word really say to me? 
And thank God a couple of them are figuring it out and they're becoming uh, young men of God who get it, that it's about us laying down our life. Whatever God wants to give me, that's amazing. He wants to give me anything. Like the rest of the preachers up here, I should have been dead a long time ago. I should have been dead in that car accident at the age of 16. As soon as I got my license, I tried to kill myself. <clears throat> he doesn't, he does, he's so amazing. He doesn't owe us anything but hell. But yet he chooses to give and to give and to give. But like I was saying earlier, he is a jealous God and he wants to remove our idols. And some of the things that you're going through today, let me tell you, it is the process of God removing your idols. I know that's not a normal word. I know that's not an easy word, but that's what the real God is like. Now that we're in Romans, you want to read some? I really do want to talk about what I said last night. We're in the last days. And God's looking for a people to show forth his glory and to accomplish something for him and the earth. And there are those that will say no. But I'm talking to the people that want to say yes. And I'd like to jump in. I wanted to go in the book of Revelation. I probably am not going to get there because the Holy Spirit began to talk to me about let's build some foundation. Because we can say yes here, but we need to be a people that says yes here. Because we say yes here over and over and then go out and do what we were doing before. And can't figure out why, why what I want to say and what I do, they don't match up. I'm still swimming in the same shallow pool. So, Romans chapter 8. Let's start with verse 4. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I'm going to read that again. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, the law is still there, and it's still good. And what the Lord has showed us is we are completely unable to keep it. However, it says right here in verse 4 that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And there's a word in there I want you to circle, and it's the word walk. What do you think of when you, when you see the word walk? By the way, Anna, Anna probably prays more than any human being I have ever encountered. She lives a life of prayer. She lives a life in the Word. She's been a minister for I don't know how many years. She was there uh, when I got saved. She was there when my parents got saved, preaching and teaching the Word, and foundational to my life, the things that I heard come out of that lady's mouth by unction, speaking into my life, teaching me about the realms of prayer, calling me up higher into the things of God. And I thank God for her. I thank God for her and her sister, Maddie. Amen. 
And you know, when you visited those realms of prayer, Paul talked about it. <laughs> you become an incurable addict. But you've got to fight to get there. You've got to fight the devil. You've got to fight the spirit of the world. And the biggest fighter is your own flesh. And that's what we're talking about right here. I want to talk about going into those realms. We, we're Christians in the outer court. You remember the temple, you remember the tabernacle, and it had the outer court and the holy place and the holy of holies. And then there was the fence around it all and the place where, where some of the Israelites probably never even entered in to that fence where the sacrifices were made. And there is a majority of Christians who have never even entered into the temple. In the, in the Old Testament, only the Levitical priests could go in. But when Jesus died on that cross and his blood was shed, the way was made open to every blood-washed saint Amen. to go into the deep things of God. And what I'm saying to you is true of myself. I'm not making stuff up off my head. I know what I'm talking about. We live far outside of what has been bought and paid for for us. And the Lord is issuing us an invitation. And if our heart is ready, he will help us because we cannot do it. We can't do what it takes to go into those places and into those realms. All we have to be is willing and because we're so stubborn and we're so carnal and our minds are so dark, it takes a lot of word to get us to the place to realize that we need to be willing to go somewhere that we're not at. There's something in us that's always telling us we're spiritual, we're okay, we're good where we are, and yet our life is surrounded by things that indicate that we're not. We have no power to help those ones around us that need help. We read about great men and women of God in the Word and in the biographies back there in our library that did mighty exploits for God, and, and, and we're okay with that, that they lived there and we lived here. But it's the same blood that bought Paul, that bought Hudson Taylor, that bought Catherine Kuhlman. It's the same blood that bought you and I, and you have all the same promises, and you have the same Holy Spirit you have the same Holy Spirit. You don't have Holy Spirit B or Holy Spirit C. They're just one Holy Spirit. And he doesn't have different agendas for the A group. I'm going to be powerful and mighty and do exploits for the B group. I'm just going to hang out in their house with them while they watch TV and hope their kids turn out good. For the C group, I'm a Christian, I think. I hope. My grandma will get me in if I'm not doing good. No such thing. The same Holy Spirit that moved in the Apostle Paul, that moved in the prophet Elijah, wants to move in you and me. What does he want to do? I don't know. But I can get a clue by what he's done before. I'm in a different time. I'm in a different generation. But he wants to move in you in a mighty way. Do you know God sits on his throne 
and the angels around him, and I know that I know that they just marvel. I know the angels scratch their head. I know that the angels watched for thousands of years waiting for that coming of Christ. They were so excited that night he was born in, of the virgin, and they're out there in the heavens singing, going, hey, earth, do you know what's happening? And everybody was inside watching TV except for a couple shepherds. And he said, oh, we'll take you and, the, and these shepherds <laughs> in total bewilderment got a, 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 a concert from heaven. <laughs> All the angels saying, the Messiah's come, peace on earth, hallelujah, it's finally happened, we've been preparing, we've been watching, we heard all the prophets, and he's here. And those shepherds got so excited, you know, I don't know how well they knew the word, they were, they were, they were shepherds. But they said, when the angels disappeared, they said, well, let's go over where they said it was and find the baby and see what's going on. And then those shepherds saw the baby, and it says that they went everywhere. They went everywhere that night and told everybody about this child in contrast to what the religious leaders did when Jesus came to earth. So please get rid of the idea that, that God only uses religious leaders in a mighty way. It was shepherds in the field that may not have known much of the word of God, but had a heart of faith and believed the angels that went and they were the first ones, the first human beings to report the birth of the Messiah. It was a little man named Simeon, full of the Holy Ghost. So full of the Holy Ghost that God talked to him and he heard him. As Marty spoke last night, he had been trained to hear the Holy Spirit. You've got to have faith like a child and believe he wants to speak to you. And, and will you mess up? Will you mess up in the process of learning his voice? You absolutely will. But that's okay. How many of you have ever had a child? How many of you have ever had a baby? <laughs> what did you do when they, when they couldn't walk right? When they couldn't speak right. You know, I was laughing one time because I was talking about the realms of prayer and, and learning how to take the word and understand the heart and the mind of God. You can't take the word in a dry mental state. You've got to get in the presence of God and say, here I am. What's your heart? What's your mind? And then the Holy Ghost will quicken that scripture that you've been faithful to put inside of you. And that scripture will come to life inside of you. And you'll begin to speak the will of God for this moment, for this day, for this circumstance. You learn to wait and listen. You lift it before the Lord, and then you wait for him to move on you how to pray. In this chapter, let's look really quick. We're going to jump down to Romans chapter 26. Chapter, verse 26, thank you. Chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And if you're in your prayer closet and you're here today and you said, I'm going to go deeper with God and you find yourself in your prayer closet just worshiping God and all of a sudden deep groanings begin to come, don't be afraid. It's right here in the word. That's the Holy Ghost. He will say things through you that cannot be spoken with words. Too deep, too passionate, too powerful for human words. Verse 27, and he that searcheth the heart 
knows the mind. Aren't you thankful that the Holy Ghost searches your heart and my heart? I'm so thankful that he digs up that crud and shows me stuff that I have labeled and put in my Christian part of my heart. I think it's Christian. I think this is a good thing. And then he'll take it out and go, look at it again. It's like, oh, man, that's my flesh. And we get to crucify it. But if he didn't do that, I'd be praying all kinds of stupid things because I can't even discern my own heart. But he makes intercession, verse 27, he that searcheth the hearts, he knows where I'm corrupt, he knows where I'm right, and everything in between. He knows what the, um, he's, uh, start again, he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, the Spirit of God, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now remember when Jesus ascended and he told them, he had told them all, you're going to go into all the world and preach the gospel, but then he told them to Go to Jerusalem and wait. Don't go anywhere until that Holy Spirit comes. And we know Jesus lived for 30 years, and there's nothing written about him doing anything in the realm of of ministry until when? The baptism. When the Holy Ghost came down on him. And if you look, um, where did I put that? You hold on to Romans because we're going to be going back there. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus' is a inaugural sermon there in one of the, um, oh, not the church, the synagogue. Chapter 4, verse 18, he says, he reads out of Isaiah, but he wasn't reading out of Isaiah. He was speaking by unction as he read out of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me. To preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then, you know, if you go and you read that same uh, passage in Isaiah, that prophetic passage, it goes on to talk about the day of the Lord. That's our job. In case you're wondering what you're supposed to be doing, it's all right there. It's all right. You need to memorize verse 18 and the top of 19 to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then go read it in Isaiah, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And it also talks about preaching about the second coming and the day of the Lord. This world needs to be warned. And it's not meant just to be with with people with with dented up cars and, and half of Revelation stuck to it. Or a guy with two cardboard signs, you know, with the whole book of Revelation. We're supposed to be the ones speaking it into people's lives. Maybe you don't have a pulpit and you're not a preacher. What about your neighbor? What about your child? What have you told your child about the second coming? What have you prepared them for? For what's coming on the earth? I tell you what, I wasn't raised in a perfect home. And as hard as I tried, my children were not raised in a perfect home. And someday we need to get a clue and teach our children to focus on Jesus. Because even Christian mommy and daddy are going to fail you. The world systems are going to fail you. One of the greatest men of God that ever lived, Daniel, was taken from his house, taken from his family, and made a slave and a captive in a foreign nation. 
made to serve the king. He was a slave. He was a high-class slave. And look at how that man served God and affected the known world of his day. And he was obeying God. He could have said, you stupid Babylonian creeps, I'm, a, I'm an Israelite and you guys are dirt and I'm not going to serve you and could have got his head cut off in the beginning. But he obeyed the spirit of God in his life. He obeyed the prophet Jeremiah who said, God says, you're going to go into captivity and I want you to obey the laws of the land and I want you to be a light there since you were so rebellious that you couldn't be a, a light and obedient in your own country. And all the other prophets were saying, oh, no, 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 Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's a crazy uh, doom and gloomer. No, 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 God will never let that happen to Jerusalem. God will never let that happen to America. We've sent the gospel out to more countries than anybody, and we're a Christian nation. That's what they were saying in Jerusalem that day while the armies were marching towards them, and the people were relieving the lion prophets. So I say again, what are we teaching our children? What are we telling our neighbors? Hey, you know what? It's okay if they laugh at you today. Because someday soon they might be knocking on your door asking for help saying you were the only one that saw this coming. How do you see what's coming? Right here. God's been rising up from the beginning, speaking through the prophets, and then he was nice enough to record it for us in a book that many people laid down their lives to create and to keep in existence. A lot of blood was shed for this word that you and I hold. There are brothers and sisters in China. There are brothers and sisters in the Middle East that are fasting right now and their tummies are growling and they've been fasting for weeks and months asking God for a Bible or a page out of a Bible. And how many Bibles do we have in our houses? And how many pages haven't we read? Or we haven't read in so long. Hmm. Romans chapter 8. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? This is Paul talking now. Or distress? or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Do you know that there are Christians that are being beheaded with swords today in this modern generation by Islam that came up overnight out of nowhere to people that weren't watching? That thing laid low, that serpent laid low for, since, since the uh, Middle Ages, pre-Middle Ages, since, since around 1300, it just sort of died down, and then all of a sudden it comes out of nowhere. And I used to, I used to watch those movies in the 70s about the second coming, and they would break out the guillotine, because there's a scripture in Revelation, let's read it real fast. And keep, your, and keep your hand there in Romans 8 because we've got to go back. And I have to finish because there's other speakers. But um, Revelation really quick. Chapter 24, I think it is. No, there is no 24. Chapter 20, verse 4, I think it is. Yeah. 
I'm talking to you about what are we telling people. You know, the church has tried to be cute and tried to be popular for the last 20 years, 30 years, by telling everybody everything they want to hear, just like those false prophets. Just accept God. He's going to take away all your troubles. He's going to give you Cadillacs. He means for you to be rich. He means for you to be a, a superstar. I mean, they were literally encouraging those kids to be worldly music artists. you got to be kidding me. When God gave musical talents, he gave it for what you've been seeing happen up here and what you see happen in your church to glorify him. Not to glorify lust, not to glorify ungodly, wicked ideas, not to lead a whole generation to hell, not to exalt violence. Makes me mad. Chapter 20, verse 4, and I saw thrones and they, sat, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years ago. So when they started making these second coming movies in the 70s, it's like beheaded, that's weird. You know, and all they could think of was the French Revolution, and they brought out the guillotines and... And now what do we see? That's the beginning of a fulfillment of prophecy. God said the promises and the prophecies, it's important to know the negative. It's important to know the dark side. Why? Because when it comes, God has told us, and that will give us strength to know that he's still in control. And we can say like Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. This body is going to die anyways. Brother Unruh told us about the girl who was so excited to receive Christ, have peace and joy in her life for the very first time. And the Holy Spirit told her, as a baby Christian, you're going to give your life for me. And against everybody's advice, she went and trained to become a minister. And she only got to lead two people to the Lord before her life was taken. But she went in faith and she went in peace because the Lord had told her, that's what I have for you. And when you know him, the idea of going to be with him is not a bad thing. I'm just waiting. Like Paul, you know, he said, I'd rather be there. But God wants me here for your sakes. Not that I'm like Paul and anybody needs me, but I mean, he's not letting me come home yet. But that's where I really want to be. As much as I love my husband and my children, I want them to be there. And that's really my only string. To be honest with you, I wouldn't want to leave my, my family in this world without me. Um, let's go back to Romans chapter 8, and we're going to let it close. But I, I just wanted to bring that out. You know, we've already seen many people beheaded for their faith with the sword of Islam. And it's very, very possible that that, that is going to play a part in that prophecy in the book of Revelation. Be, I don't know why, but you see that the governments of the world seem to favor Islam that does not make any sense, but it seems to be a spiritual darkness happening. They're against Christianity, they're against Judaism, and they love Islam. Okay, chapter 8, we're going to end right here. Verse 36, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death 
nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul didn't promise us, Jesus didn't promise us that we wouldn't have peril and sword and nakedness and famine. And he didn't promise those things. He said that they could not separate us from the love of God. Amen. And I truly believe that we cannot get into the holy place or the holy of holies without climbing up on that altar in the outer court and dying. And so I guess I'm here this morning to remind us that true Christian life Walking in the depths of Christianity requires death. It requires a decision to die daily, die to me, die to what I want, die to what I think, and come alive to what he has said, and let him begin to make that world real to me. Because if that world's not real, and the things I read today, you don't want them, and you don't, and, and you don't receive them, and you want some other Christianity where there's no death, and there's no suffering, and it's all about stuff, you can have that, but it's a lie. I want the real thing, and I want to see the glory of God, and I want him to move in me so that somebody else could see him. Amen? Praise God. Lord, I just ask that you would seal anything that was said by your spirit um, that you meant for me to say that you'd seal it in our heart and that it would do the work you intended because you said your word doesn't return void and that you would indeed prepare us for what's coming on the earth and teach us to hunger to know and to seek out in your word to begin to see, remove the veils from our eyes and the deafness from our ears and the hardness from our heart that we might know what thus saith the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Jeremy. Praise God. I just uh, uh, want to pray for Anna's sister. She's in the hospital and um, 89 years old. These two ladies have been preaching and still are preaching. And uh, there's no retirement for them. But I really feel that her sister is so strong in the Lord and has done so much for this world in her prayers and all of that, that we would just uh, um, hold her up right now in prayer. Let's all stand. And I would have uh, um, yeah. to come up and pray. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. And uh, praise